We're going to read one verse here this morning, and then we're going to dive in. I'm so enjoying our series on the letter from James, how to live out our faith in a world that is pulling against us. Let's read verse 14. If you're there, say amen. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Watch this right now. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Wait a minute here, James. Let's, let's, look, let's look real closely. You say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith, when you say there's that kind of this or that kind of that, you are implying that there is more than one of it. There's not just one kind, apparently, James. There are multiple kinds of faith. And so we come into the room this morning and we live in a nation where so many of us have faith, but here is the problem. And James is expressing it to Jews and Christians scattered abroad, but he's also writing it straight to us. And he's saying this, do you have the kind of faith that can save you? Well, I got faith, Pastor Randon. I do. Yes, but can your faith save you? Because at the end of the day, what good is a faith that can't save you? If you live your whole life based off the idea that your faith is going to save you, suddenly uh, you, you pass away and you're face to face with, with the God who created the heavens and the earth and you say to him, I have faith. And he said, yes, yes, yes. But you had the wrong kind of faith and your faith can't save you. How many of you know that would be a problem? Like, doesn't, have to, doesn't that have to be like your worst fear? You lived your whole life thinking you had this part of, of things settled and then you get to eternity and there's no turning back and there's no going back and you realize you got it wrong your entire life. James is warning us there is a kind of faith that you can have that will not save you. And then there is a kind of faith that you can have that will save you. So my question to you today is this, as the title of our sermon, what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do you have? How many of you would like to know, just to make sure you have the right kind of faith? Would you like to know what, what, what James says? I, I think we should. I think we should. Uh, you know, he, he jumps in here. What he's going to do, and we're going to backtrack to, to verse 1, but what he's going to do is he's going to present to us a real problem. And out of that real problem, he is going to expose a root issue, and then he is going to give us some revelation truth that could change our life and make sure you know you have the right kind of faith. So let's back up to verse 1, but before we do, I think we ought to put our hands on the Bible today. Today is one of those days that are my absolute favorite as a preacher. See, a lot of preachers love to preach the sermons where everybody shouts you down and everyone leaves feeling great. I love to preach the sermons that no one really wants to hear about from Scripture. It's my favorite kind. I like to leave here whenever, when you're about half mad at me. That's my favorite. It's, I'm, not, I'm just be honest with you. When, when, when I don't get a million texts saying, great job today, Pastor Rannon, I'm like, I made somebody think today. Yes, Lord, you are good. <laughs> so, y'all ready to pray? Y'all okay this morning? I'm feeling pretty good. I, lo I, I love this book. This letter is my favorite. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we get to open your word. And as we read it, it is going to come alive to us. 
It's going to open our eyes to see. Father, our faith is going to be built, and we're going to leave here different than when we came in. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for it right now, and it's in your name we pray. The people said... Amen. Amen. Let me get on my notes here. Let's jump back to verse 1. I'll read verse 1 through 4, and then we'll dive into it. Remember, we're going to backtrack now, and James is giving us a very real problem that was prevalent in his day, and I think you'll find it's prevalent in our day. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination, everybody say discrimination, show that your judgments are guided by evil motives. The very real problem that he is going to use right here to expose the root issue and then give us some revelation knowledge that can change your life is he chooses the issue of discrimination, of racism, of prejudice, of partiality, or showing favoritism. That's the, that is the thing he chooses to illustrate the problem. Because when we see this problem, what James is saying, it is revealing something deeper in us. And if we don't deal with the root issue, then the problem's never going to go away. James lived in a, in a terribly uh, discriminatory, prejudiced society. There was prejudice on every side. It was class, it was ethnicity, it was nationality, it was gender, it was religious background. All of it was laced in prejudice and discrimination. And so James is writing right to this, and he says, wherever you are scattered abroad, you're probably dealing with this problem because it is everywhere. There were Jews and Gentiles, there were slave and free, there were rich and poor, there were Greek and barbarian, there were men and women, and on down the list. You see, in, in James's world and in the early church, unity did not come automatically. In fact, the early Christians were so wired to discrimination and prejudice that it took the teachings of James and the teachings of Peter, re referring to the teachings of Jesus and, and the teachings of Paul, to understand that it is through Christianity that the wall is separated, that, or the wall is torn down, and, and diversity can begin to take place, and discrimination goes away. They had to teach the people of God not to be prejudiced. Now you tell me, is that fitting for our nation today? Is that fitting for our society today? You see, our society wires us to be prejudiced and to be people of discrimination. It wires us that way. 
I'm not even talking about evil, bad people, the, the ones that we can all point to and say they're absent. I'm talking about just in general. If we are not careful, our society wires us and forces us into a box where we, are, we show favoritism to people who look like us, think like us, dress like us, act like us. Society does it automatically, but it is through the words of Jesus, through the word of God, that actually changes that and can bring us out of it. This is where we are today. I'm not going to stay long on this issue, but uh, give me just, just a moment to address the elephant in the room. And if you are not aware, there's major controversy right now going on over uh, NFL athletes kneeling during uh, our, our national anthem. This is extremely offensive to lots of people. But let me just say something here. If you'll help, I want to say this exactly right. So put this uh, statement on the screen for me because I, I want you to help go beyond what we're seeing. The controversy over the protest has now become bigger than the controversy the protest is over. What am I saying? We're overlooking the root issue, which is racism in America, and we're exploding over whether a person is doing a peaceful protest in kneeling. I'm not saying we should all go kneel. I'm not telling you to or not to. Personally, I, I'm not kneel, kneeling because I believe that our flag and our national anthem should be a symbol of hope and a symbol of unity where we come together. But that's me personally. I'm not mad at the athletes that are doing it. I'm not, I'm not against them. Here's what I'm saying. Protests are not designed to make you comfortable. They're designed to make you uncomfortable to expose an issue. My concern is we have covered up the root issue with the protest. I want, to explode, I want to expose the root issue, and the root issue is racism and prejudice in our country. Are you with me? So my challenge to you is don't get caught up in kneeling or not kneeling and arguing with people over that. No, let's back away from it a moment and go, what's the real issue here? The real issue is prejudice and racism. And if we just glaber, well, you, you know, you say, well, uh, the, the issue is, is white privilege. And I don't know if you've ever heard that term or not. And, you, and, and most white people say, I don't have white privilege. Look at my life. You know, the idea behind that term when it was originally coined it's the, it's the picture of an invisible backpack. And the reason white people, speaking of me, don't think we have it is because it's invisible. And someone has to let us know it's there. So my encouragement to people of my color is don't get mad and say you don't have it and you've never experienced it. It's invisible. You were experiencing and didn't even know it. My encouragement to people who don't look like me is please don't get mad at us when we don't know it's there. It's invisible. Y'all are just looking at me this morning. You okay? Because here's, here's, here's the deal. This is what James is going to tell us. Discrimination in any form is a sin. It's not black and white. I mean, it's not gray. It is black and white. Let, let, let's read it here. I'm off my notes, but let me, let me read it here. Verse 9. If you favor some people over others... This is discrimination, this is racism, this is prejudice that he's talking about. Let's be really, really clear. 
You are committing a sin. Laws won't fix our problem in America. Laws won't fix it. Um, Harsh and violent words will not fix it. You know what will fix it? Is Jesus Christ. This This will fix it. I want want you to listen to these words. Listen to these words. Ephesians chapter um, 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's, Here's what Paul writes. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Now notice who the peace is between. We often read this verse and we think it's between between God and man. That is what Jesus did. But in the context of bringing peace between God and man, here's what he did. He united Jews and Gentiles. Remember I told you it was a discriminatory society? It was a prejudiced society. This is one of the huge walls that Jews were dealing with. And Paul is writing to them and saying, one of the biggest ones is Jews and Gentiles. That doesn't mean it's the only one that Jesus brought together. He's just using it as an illustration. Here's what he said. He brought them into one people in his own body on the cross. And watch, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. This is what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Yes, he came for our salvation. And yes, he came to forgive us. But he also came to unite us and break down the walls that divide us. That's why Jesus came. And it won't be a law that fixes it. It will be the love of Christ. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations because the law was dividing. Jesus said, let me get this back to where it can work. Let's all come into my body together. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. This is what Jesus did. This is what the love of God did. And and the way to influence our world is not through hateful words and not through more laws. The way to influence our word, and this is James's whole picture in this entire letter, is live out our faith. Live out what Jesus has done in you, the, the merging of the two into one, the breaking down the walls. When you live that out in the world, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. You can be the difference in the world. You can be the one that says, no, I'm not going to think that way and feel that way because Jesus has broken down the wall of separation between me and you. Let's look at scripture here because I want to make sure we I want to make sure we get what James is saying. Jews and Gentiles weren't going to get along. It wasn't that some individuals didn't get along, but as a general rule, they weren't getting along. And so Jesus had to break down the wall. James here chooses class discrimination as his illustration. He chooses the rich and the poor, but it's not the only one. It's just an illustration. In the Roman days, money um, was a huge thing. In fact, when you would show up to parties or events or different places or sometimes even just to walk through the, the town, you, men would wear rings all over their left hand. They would wear their fanciest robes because it, if you looked like you had money, people would treat you better. It was ostentatious. It was over the top. And this is what they would do. So, so James just points directly to it. In fact, it was such, an, a, such a big deal that there were actually shops where you could go rent all of the jewelry and all of the robes. So you could go walk around and act like something you weren't so people would treat you how they thought you were rather than what you actually were. 
And so James just chooses this one. He could have chose any of them because they were everywhere, but he chooses this one as an illustration. And discrimination and partiality, they, they show us four things. Number one, it shows that we care more about the outward appearance than, we, appearance than what we do is going on in the heart. We're looking more at what we see than rather what God is really doing or what is really going on inside a person. We're judging them because of this or that, not because of who they really are. Number two, we misunderstand who was blessed by God and what is important to God. In this, in this rich or poor situation, um, we think that because a person is rich, he's blessed by God, but that isn't the case at all. In fact, God often blesses the poor. He chose to be poor himself. He didn't come to, to be a rich man. He came to a poor carpenter that didn't have enough money that when they presented him to be dedicated, they brought the cheapest gift that was acceptable by law, which was two doves. When other people were bringing lambs and huge gifts, they brought the, the smallest gift possible because they couldn't afford anymore. Jesus came to be poor. But it doesn't mean that we all have to be poor to be loved by Jesus or being, being poor is the blessing of Jesus. It just means that expo it exposes how we view the blessings of God incorrectly. Number three, it exposes a selfish streak in us. Specifically with rich or poor, it exposes that we're going to treat the rich differently because we think we can get something from them. Number four is this. It exposes that we are guided by evil motives. My question for you is, what is guiding you? What motives are guiding, guiding you? Let's read uh, verse 8 and 9 again. Yes, it, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people other, over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. What's he saying? He's saying, you agree, everyone agrees, love your neighbor as yourself. So what do we do then? We go find neighbors who look like us and talk like us and sound like us and dress like us and act like us, and then we live among them only, so it is very easy to say, I love my neighbor as myself. They're easy to love because they look just like me. It was happening then, and it still happens today. Does it mean it's bad to live in a neighborhood that looks just like you? No, I'm, the point is this. Your neighbor is everybody. He's everybody. Everybody is your neighbor. I'm your neighbor. Well, you don't even live in my city, Pastor Randy. You live out in the country. I know. I'm still your neighbor. And so, so the principle here is this. Treat everybody the same. Whether they live next door to you or they live on the wrong side of town, treat everybody the same because they're all your neighbors. So love your neighbor as yourself. Love everybody as yourself. And I love this in verse 10 and 11. This is where, because, you know, we read the, the, the Ten Commandments, and okay, that's the top ten, and it's like, you know, don't commit murder, and don't commit adultery, and all those things, and oh man, I'm not doing any of those, Pastor, and I am good. Here's what James writes. For the, purpose, the person who keeps all of the laws except one. Now the principle is, if you're, if you're breaking any of them, then, then what are you? He is as guilty as the... As, as a person who has broken all of God, God's laws. So the point is, if you, choose, if you break just one, you've broken them all. But he's specifically saying, you can do everything else right, but have prejudice in your heart and still be breaking the law of God. 
But Pastor Ryan, I come to church, and I worship, and I pay my tithes, and I serve in the nursery, and I do all those things, and I've, I don't commit adultery, and I've never murdered anybody, even when I thought about it, and, and all those things. And, and yet, here's what, Jesus, here's, here's what James is saying. The problem is this. You must not commit adultery. Go back to verse 11. And you must not murder. So if you murder someone and do not commit adultery, though, you've still broken the law. When you break one, you break them all. If you've got racism and prejudice and discrimination hiding in your heart, you are right now breaking the law of God. So I say, God, please expose it in me. If it's hidden, the Bible teaches that the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? I certainly can't. So I say, Holy Spirit, if it's hiding in me anywhere, I'm breaking your law and I do not want to. So please expose it in me that you can deal with it through the power of your Holy Spirit. Right? That ought to be the cry of our heart. Help us, Father. Help us, Father. This problem he chooses it shows that we can have selective obedience. Choose to answer, to live up to one law and not the other. Then he goes on and he says in verse 12, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. The law of liberty. If you live your life according to the law of liberty or according to the law of mercy, not giving people what they deserve, but instead giving them grace and giving them freedom like Jesus gave to you, then you will be judged accordingly. But let's put it in context now. If you walk around in your life judging people as if you are better than them, when you get to the throne of God, you will be judged according to the same law. So you may be better than everyone else, but when you get to God, he's better than you. So if you have discriminated against others because you thought you were better, God's then going to discriminate you against you and say, no, you've had sin and discrimination and prejudice in your heart, and you've got to go. I want you to think about that for a moment. The, the very same law that you are using will be used against you one day. And i got to tell you, God is perfect in all of his ways. He created the heavens and the earth. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. There is no way I'm ever going to be even close to being equal with God. So I better treat people right while I'm here. Let's keep moving along because now it's going to, he chose this problem to expose the root issue. Here's the root issue. How you treat people matters. What you're doing in your life matters because you, you think you're having faith, but, but you're doing something else. That kind of faith won't save you. Verse 14, that kind of faith won't save you. Here's the root issue. What kind of faith do you have? I want to make a shocking statement to you, so just get ready. You can have faith in God and still go to hell. You can have faith in God and still end up spending eternity in a dark place. I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment. You say, well, Pastor Randy, what about sola fide, which was the cry of the Reformation, uh, um, the, the, the Protestant movement, Martin Luther, he said, sola fide, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, by faith alone we are saved. Absolutely, by faith alone you are saved. The problem is, what kind of faith do you have? Because not every kind of faith is enough to save you. 
Y'all all right this morning? I told you it was going to be one of those kind of days. I tried to warn you in advance, but you were already here, so you couldn't leave. Here's the principle. The faith that saves me is the fa- same faith that changes me. If your faith isn't changing you, it's probably not going to save you. Spurgeon said it like this, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. You can treat people like this and claim to have a faith that saves you, even though you don't live in what what you view to be sin, but you can claim to have faith, but it won't get you there. Verse 17, he goes on. He says right here, uh, verse 15, I'm sorry. Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food and clothing, and you say goodbye and good day and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You recognized a problem, you had the resources to help, and you walked away and just blessed them on your way by. What good have you done? Have you shown your faith? Verse 17, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, for all of the grace people in the room, for all of the faith alone people in the room, don't be mad at me. We're reading it right off the screen. I didn't make these notes up. Everybody good with that? Okay. If you have faith by itself, it's not enough. What does that mean? How do you, how do you rationalize? Paul says that we are saved by faith alone, and yet James is saying faith by itself isn't enough. Does this seem like a contradiction to anyone else in the room? Here's how it works together. It is not um, faith alone versus a works-based righteousness, because that's the society they came from. That's what the law was about. You do things right, and you can be counted as righteous. But that isn't the point here. It's not one or the other. Here's what James is saying. When the faith of God, when a true faith gets in you, when it saves you, it also changes you. And the fruit of that is good works. And so we know what kind of faith you have, not because of what you say. I don't know if you know, but do y'all know anybody in your life that will tell you one thing and be lying through their teeth? Okay, I mean, I know a few. Um, I also know a lot of people that say it and really mean it, but it isn't the truth. Those are the scary ones, right? Because they mean it with all their heart, and yet you're sitting there going, that's never going to happen. Right? You ever been in one of those conversations? You're staring at people like, that's never going to happen. Like, that's not what you mean at all, but yet you really are convinced that you mean it, and yet... You can say you have faith all day long, but the problem is your faith is dead. It's not alive. A living faith, a faith that has saved you, that is alive within you, changes how you treat people. Remember? It changes changes how you view people, how you treat people. It changes how you respond to needs around you. You you can't just walk by a need and have the resources to help it and just say, Lord bless you and keep walking. You know, the truth of the matter is some of us need to pray less and do more. That's the reality. There are are people in in this room and in the church of God today that we spend a lot of time praying and we walk by and we say, God bless you. And we we could help in some way, but we haven't done anything. Remember, we talked about don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. Let's let's keep moving. Let's, Let's keep moving here. 
I, I love what um, John Calvin and Martin Luther taught. They said, faith alone uh, saves, but that faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. So it isn't that works save you, but how you know what kind of faith you have is it produces good works in your life. So when the faith alone that saves you, it brings with it good works. It brings it with it life change. You, you view people differently. You do things differently. Luther went on to say this, we are saved by faith alone, but if there are no works, there must be something amiss or something off with our faith. Paul said it like this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Just to make sure we, we don't leave out the, the, the faith uh, preacher. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Can I get an amen? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, meaning you couldn't earn it. It's not a result of, of works so that no one may boast. You can't boast because you can't earn it. But watch what he says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So when we became this new creation, we became this new person in God, he created it so that good works could flow out of us. Are you tracking with me? We see how these things fit together now. Good works cannot save you. Can I get an amen? Only faith can save you. Can I get an amen? But a faith that saves you, God did it in you to produce good works. You were created. You are a new creation in Christ. Paul tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you are that person so that you can produce good works. How do you know what kind of faith you have? Look at the works in your life. Verse 18. He says, now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. My good deeds prove my faith. I'm just supposed to take you at your word, but my good deeds prove my faith. Well, I have the, I have the gift of serving and I have the gift of faith. And James is saying, no, 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 no. You all have it. If you have faith, it should produce in you. Now, this is the revelation that we under, have to understand today. Faith without works is dead. So we have to have a living, breathing faith. Three examples to prove what James is saying. Number one is this. He's going to go in verse 19 to 20. He's going to use the demons as proof number one. If you're in verse 19, say amen. Okay, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you all to work with me today. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. I love the sarcasm here, James. I just appreciate it. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Remember what I told you? You can have faith in God and still go to hell. One of the ways we know that, this is, this, is, this is what James tells us. Proof number one that that is absolutely true is that even the demons believe in Jesus and yet they're still in hell. Remember when Jesus was casting out demons? They knew exactly who Jesus was. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us, Right? They knew exactly who Jesus was. Knowing who Jesus is and claiming that that's your faith 
will not save you. How do we know that? Because it wouldn't save the demons. What happened with the demons? Their actions got them kicked out of heaven along with Satan. It wasn't that they didn't believe in Jesus. They had already seen God. They had already been in the presence of God. They had already experienced heaven. But as you study in the Old Testament, it teaches that they were kicked out of heaven. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Point is this, they've already been there. They know he exists. They know he is real. They know he created the heavens and the earth. But that wasn't enough. It was their actions that got them kicked out. You can believe that he is the one true and living God and call that faith. But that kind of faith won't save you. Number two, he's going to choose Abraham. He's going to choose Abraham, verse 21. Don't you remember our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions. Now let's move it from works to a better word. He changes it to actions here. What he was actually doing. They worked together and his actions made his faith complete. So here's the father of our faith. So it happened, just as scripture said. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. But what proved his faith? You see, we are shown to be right with God. We are shown. It's demonstrated. That's what the word shown there means. It's demonstrated that we are right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Not just by what we say, but by what we do. Elbow the person next to you and say, it's going to be okay. Here's one of the lessons we learned from Abraham in this scripture. Abraham proved his faith because he was willing to obey God even when it cost him something. It's easy to obey God when it's not costing you anything, when God's blessing you, when God's giving you more and more and more and everything's going your way. But Abraham believed God even when it meant sacrificing the most beloved thing he had in his life, his son. Pure faith goes far enough that you'll obey God even when it costs you something, now we're talking about a living faith. Now we're talking about a living faith. Number three, one more example he gives us. Verse 25. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. So number one, he chose the demons. He said, the demons, they believe in me, but their actions show otherwise. They don't have a real faith. They don't have a living faith. They got a dead faith. Number two, Abraham proved he had a faith in God when he was willing to follow me and obey me even when it cost him something. Number three, Rahab. Rahab um, was not a follower of God. She she was, um, she didn't know God. She didn't know Jesus. She knew none of that. She was not of the tribes of Israel. She was an outsider. And yet, when her actions, not just what she said, but her actions proved that she had faith in God. She chose to put her own life on the line to save the spies and the children of Israel. 
Here's the lesson. If we believe in God, we will help his people even when it costs us something. We'll help his people. We'll help others. Why? This living faith proved, is proven. It is shown. It is demonstrated by how we're interacting in the world. What kind of faith do you have? Is your faith alive or is it dead? Verse 26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I need this body to get around the earth. It's how I get from here to there. It's how I walk out of these doors in just a few minutes. It's, it's how I get up out of bed in the morning. I need this body to get me through, through doors of access. But if I have no breath in my body, I may have a body, but it is dead because it has no breath and it can't get me anywhere. You with me? You can have a faith and it is a faith that will get you to heaven. It will faith that will give you access into eternity with Jesus Christ. But if there's no breath in the, this body of faith, there's no way to get you from here to there. What is the breath? The breath is, it's the proof. It's the good works. It's the good deeds. It's the how you're treating people. It's the how you're living your life. Is your faith living or is it dead? It can be a live body or a dead body. How The breath is the good works in your life. So, my question to you is, as you look back over the last week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or years of your life, are the good works in your life proving and demonstrating your faith in Him? Or are you living how you want to live and then claiming to have faith in God? Which is it? Are you breaking laws? Are you sinning? Are you allowing things to lay in your heart dormant and not deal with them? And then walking around, is this, if, you have, if you're this great person of faith and you're doing all these wonderful things to live for God, and yet when you leave here, all that goes away. because Your faith is dead. The faith that saves me changed me. The faith that saved my soul changed my life. It changed the filters in my mind. It changed how I viewed people. The faith that saves me changes how I treat the world. It changes how I treat the people around me. It causes me to do something for Him even when it costs me something. It, costs, it, 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 it causes me to help His people even when it costs me something. But this living faith it's the faint, same faith by which we receive the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit. It's the same faith that we, we pray and believe that God is going to do something in our lives. He's going to do it. It's a living, breathing faith. I want to do two things today, and I'm closing. Number one is this. I want to ask every person in this room to look into your own heart and your own lives and through the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit because He reveals things to us, to us. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a faith that will save you? Or is your faith dead? With every head closed and every eye bowed. Or every eye bowed and every... You know what I mean. What kind of faith do you have? Abraham demonstrated his faith. Rahab demonstrated her faith. De uh, James demonstrated his faith, but so did the demons. 
they demonstrated the faith that they have. Is your faith alive or is it dead? Some of you in this room, you're being honest right now and you're saying, Pastor Randy, my faith has been dead and I need to make a change. It starts with asking God to forgive us and have a fresh start. It starts with saying, God, I, I have been living my way and I've been allowing sin to remain in my heart. Maybe it was hidden, but as I'm in the presence of God right now, your Holy Spirit is revealing it to me, and I need your help, and you need a fresh start with God. We can do that this morning. If that's you, if you're watching online, would you just slip your hand up really quickly so I know who I'm praying with? Yeah, I see hands going up everywhere. Hands going up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, you can put your hands down. And let's ask every person here and online to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in you. You're the Son of God who died for me. But it has to be more than that. I want to live for you. I want to walk out my faith. I want the same faith that is saving me to change me. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen.